In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, and as such, it is the bridge between Epiphany, which is the season of light and revelation, means to show out, and the season of Lent, which is a much darker, more somber, more introspective, more spiritual stock-taking kind of season. And so the transfiguration is the bridge between those two. Jesus takes the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto a high mountain, and there he is transfigured before him. He is transformed, and they get to see Jesus as the Son of God. He's always been kind of low-balling it, going around calling himself the Son of Man and being humble and not using his godly powers. He just calls on the Father when he wants to do miracles. And now they see him for his divine nature. They see that he truly is the Son of God. And it's impressive. It is a transformation that they have been waiting for. It is a transformation that helps them in, in the future to get through what they have to. And it's a transformation that helps Jesus do what he has to do too. Transformations are something that we're really into in our culture. And uh, as proof of this, I, I challenge you to watch an hour of network television. Watch it s all the way through, all the commercials and everything, and see if you can go that long without seeing at least two or three or more commercials that have something to do with transformations of ourselves. We've got the cosmetics industry, the fashion industry, the health and fitness industry, plastic surgery, dental implants. There's a million commercials out there that have to do all of them with transformations. We're, we're into that. And transformations uh, have been done for a long time. People in Hollywood, for example, have uh, gone for transformations of how they look and how they're perceived. And one of the things that they have done is to uh, give themselves a name change that sounds a little bit more glamorous as part of this transformation. So let me give you some examples. Do you remember the name Isur Danielovich Densky? Probably not. But you might remember him by the name that he changed himself to, and that would be Kirk Douglas. Do you remember Francis Gum? That sounds like kind of a mundane name, maybe not enough glitz and glitter to it. But how about the name that she changed to? Judy Garland. Do you remember uh, a, a gangly, nerdy teenager by the name of Archibald Leach who decided that he was going to transform himself by simply acting as if he were witty and sophisticated and urbane and then changed his name to Cary Grant? Or maybe Marion Morrison didn't think that that handle would strike fear in the hearts of six-gun-toting outlaws, and so he changed it to John Wayne. Well, this has been going on a long time. And people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament uh, had name changes as well. So we can remember that Abram became Abraham and Sarai became Sarah. This is after God gave the promise to Abraham that he would be their God and, and he would be a great people for the Lord. And then his grandson Jacob, after the dream of Jacob's ladder and the covenant renewal, became Israel. In the New Testament, Saul used to run around and persecute the Christians. And then after he was struck down, struck blind on the way to Damascus and changed all of that, he was transformed into Paul. And then, of course, we have Simon Peter, who uh, became Cephas, 
uh, petrous, petrified, or rocky, depending on which language you want to use. These names, however, were not names that people picked ahead of time to help with their transformation. These were names that the Lord gave to people as a sign that they had been transformed. That's the difference. So Jesus has the disciples up on this high mountain, and they see him transformed. His face is glowing. His robe is dazzling white. The text tells us whiter than any bleach could make it. Would have been a good Tide commercial. Anyway, he was there, and he was looking for all intents and purposes the true Son of God. And there, then he's talking to Moses, and then he's talking to Elijah, having a little conversation. They just appear up on the mountaintop. Moses representing the law, the Ten Commandments. Elijah representing the prophets. And the connection being that Jesus is himself the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So there they are. And the disciples are are struck speechless, except Peter, of course, who should have been struck speechless and wasn't. Peter, who always has something to say, even when he should shut up. Peter starts babbling, Oh, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let's, Let's build three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Yeah, that's it. Let's just pitch tent and stay here because, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we always thought we were going to get. And, and this is what we signed on for as disciples. Stuff like this. This is, this, is, this is great. Let's just stay here. Peter's babbling so much that the Lord God has to actually interrupt him and say, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, shut up. Listen to him. And so they, they have this great mountaintop experience. But they're not going to stay on the mountaintop. Jesus disabuses them of that notion rather rapidly and says, no, we have to go back down in the valley. And so they do. And when they get back down the valley, the next verses after our text, we find out it's, sometimes it's the valley of the shadow of death. There's a guy whose son is very sick. He's convulsing. He's flipping and flopping. Probably some form of epilepsy. And he asks Jesus to heal him, and Jesus does. And this signifies it's great to have mountaintop spiritual experiences, but that's not where we live, and that's not where we work. That's down in the valley. It was a good thing for Jesus to have this mountaintop experience because he is about to face something that nobody has ever faced or will. It's not just that he's going to be put to death in a criminal's death. That's bad enough. But he is going to take upon himself the pain and the sin and everything of everybody in the world who ever has been, who is, and who will be. That's the really painful part. He knows he's going to do this, and he's not very fired up about doing it. But he's willing to do it because that's what it takes for our salvation and because he's obedient to the Father. And this mountaintop experience gets him ready for going to the valley of the shadow of death. And it's a good thing for the disciples, too, because they're going to go through the same thing. They're going to be scared and scattered, confused, lost. And if they can remember at least the glimpse that they saw of the glorified Lord, the Son of God, it will bring them back to say, yeah, but we we know there's more than what's just going on in front of us here. It was a good thing for the disciples. It's a good thing for us to have spiritual mountaintop experiences every once in a while. And I don't know what it might be. It might be a spiritual retreat that you go on that really 
strikes your heart. Or it might be somebody that's healed that's a good friend or a family member of yours miraculously. Or it might be just getting together with 500 Lutherans singing Children of the Heavenly Father and A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Or it might be something that you read that is inspiring. It might even be a sermon that hits you where you live once in a while. It could be any of those kinds of things. But mountaintop spiritual experiences are good because they give us a vision. Now, vision is not a hallucination. It's not a fantasy. A vision is simply a time where we are able to step back or maybe step above what's going on around us and we're able to see clearly what is important in life and what is not. A vision is where we see the stuff that's going on in our lives and what is important stuff and what's just other stuff. A vision is where we are clear on who we are and where we're headed and how we're going to get there. So it's important for us to have that vision. It transforms us. Mountaintop experiences help to transform us so that we can do our work down in the valley where we live. We are transformed so that then we can go out and transform the world. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.